I think they're at a real crossroads, to be honest, because they, they made this Nolan Arenado trade. They have had some good things happen this year. I think the development of the outfield is, is something that, if you told me that happens going into the season, I figured the Cardinals are where a lot of people pegged them to be at the top of the Central. But obviously injuries elsewhere have kind of gotten in the way, and I know it's been a frustrating year, but they've had a lot of misses uh, you know, on the trade front and the free mm-hmm. agent front, and, and that those have kind of caught up with them over the years. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the best podcast in baseball, brought to you by Closet by Design of St. Louis. I'm St. Louis Post-Dispatch baseball writer Derek Gould, joined this week by MLB.com's All Everything and National Baseball columnist Anthony Kastrovitz. I'm here in Cleveland, your town, and of course, they snuck it in right around the time of the Olympic opening ceremonies on a, one of the great Friday news dumps of all time in baseball history. But this is soon to be the home of the Guardians. Right. What was your reaction over coffee on Friday when you found out? Uh, well, I had a pretty good inkling it was coming. Um, and it's something we've uh, anticipated all season. Um, you, know, you had a pretty good idea it was going to be by the end of the season. And, and that they really had to have something done mid-year uh, here in this month of July because uh, they need to get the process started of merchandise and uh, marketing, etc. There, there's a lot that goes into an overhaul like this. Um, and then that day in particular, uh, yeah, it became pretty clear that was going to be the day. And, and you're right, it was, a, I guess, an opportune time if you want to have it kind of buried. But, um, but I also think I, that's true on one hand, but on the other hand, I do think they are proud now to have a name that they don't have to feel iffy about. Uh, I think in, especially in recent years, uh, it's become more problematic to, to, to have your, your baseball team named after a race of people. And um, there, there was always some uncomfort there. And it's, it's only become more pronounced, uh, you know, particularly with what went on in this country last summer. So it was the right move, I think, ultimately. Um, you know, I, the Guardian's name in particular was not my favorite of, of the many options. And, and they had over a thousand of them wow. <laughs> as an organization that they considered. Um, but but here in Cleveland, amongst fans, uh, Guardians and, and Spiders were were definitely two of the foremost names you would hear. Those are probably the two most popular names. Um, and then when you're the most popular name, you're also one of the least popular names as well. It's just that's the yeah. nature of opinions, right? So um, so I knew Guardians was a distinct possibility, and then became the reality. There's as I was walking around today, there, there, there's a couple things that I really like about the Guardians that maybe I didn't appreciate when the announcement went. I mean, and I knew about what the Guardians were, the Guardians of, of Transportation. And they're um, four statues, two faced each, so eight, um, at the at ends of a bridge that crossed the Cuyahoga River, right? It's the Hope Bridge, correct? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and, and notable that it's literally right outside the ballpark. So that's, right that's what I didn't appreciate is like I'd driven the Hope Bridge and I'd walked the Hope Bridge, and I guess I just didn't connect with the fact, but walking back across it towards downtown Cleveland, you see that the Guardians frame the ballpark. Like, it's pretty, it's like an avenue, right? To, it's almost English. It's like straight out of the UK where there's an avenue that leads to the ballpark, and the Guardians are sentries that frame the ballpark. I was really struck by that. And then, of course, the fact that there is, um, there's a visual clue with Guardians, that goes with the previous name, and that's D-I-A-N-S. Right. And it, you know, and it allows for that kind of connection as they move from one name to the next. That even like it's not quite rhyming, but it like visually rhymes, mm-hmm. and it, so it it keeps a continuity there, which I think is 
That's a good touch. Yeah, I've, I've had friends tell me they're just going to call them the Deans uh, mm, moving yeah. forward because they, they kind of uh, – and, you know, on one hand, it, it feels like it, it's not a total divorce from the old name, um, which is good and bad. There's, it, it doesn't make you a bad person or a racist person if you have a sentimental attachment to the name Indians. We right. grew up with that team. That's, you know, that's baseball to us here in Cleveland. Um, so I, I understand, you know, kind of trying to split the baby, which is basically what they've, what they've tried to do here. You know, the uniforms are very similar aside from the name. Um, the, the script, you know, the, the font is very similar. Um, and, and as you said, the, the word itself is pretty similar. I, I do think, I hope people uh, at large, because, uh, you know, Guardians itself, it's, it's a little on the cheesy side. Although, you know, baseball has a lot of bad nicknames. Sports in general have a right. lot of bad nicknames. The Utah Jazz uh, being number one on my list. <laughs> um, uh, so, but I think once people well, the do The Lakers, it, too. Like yeah, the Los Angeles bad. Lakers are pretty famous. And I was like, wait, what? Pretty bad. We could have been the Lakers here. That would have been a, a, yeah. made a lot more sense. Um, but... I, yeah, once you do grasp that history, um, you know th those statues have been up since the 1930s, and you know they've seen a lot. Uh, they've seen a lot of changes in Cleveland, and um, so uh, once you have an appreciation for that, it, the name sounds a little less cheesy. What, what was your? I mean, you're from Cleveland. You grew up a Cleveland fan, I would imagine, right? And uh, um, you got kids that are going to be Cleveland fans, right? Yeah. Um, so, w what was your kind of personal arc with the name? Like yeah. from your, from going from fan to writer to kind of like okay they're gonna change this. Literally never thought about it as a kid. Like never thought about what does that mean? What does it represent? Um, and I was a kid. Native Americans were called Indians, and but I never once stopped to think why would a baseball team in Cleveland be named the Indians? Yeah. It never. It's not something that ever would have crossed my mind at that age. As you get older, it does start to cross your mind, and just yeah, it just felt uncomfortable basically because you're you're representing a race of people who uh, have not like signed off on it, uh, and it's it's obviously a, a name with with some you know strange history to it, and, and doesn't it, it, it's complicated. It's just a complicated word to describe a race of people who do not hail from India, you know. So, yeah. um, and I, I think as things have progressed in our society, and you're, you're running a a business and you're, you're trying to represent the community and I, I think this ball club does a good job of, of you know representing the community generally with, with how they go about things but the name it just always kind of hung there uh, uncomfortably and you know what happened with the George Floyd uh, murder and, and the protests and what was going on in the United States as a result um, then it becomes a, another issue with not just fans but then you're talking about corporate sponsors and it, it kind of became a no-brainer, I think, at that point. Um, but for me, just my own personal, you know, once once they did do the right thing and get away from the Chief Wahoo logo, you got to change the name at that point because yeah. you can't do anything with your own name. Uh, and that's actually something they ran into just from a marketing perspective, which is, you know, not the foremost issue when you're talking about something as, as heady as race and politics, but marketing matters for a ball yeah. club. And they had this name, Cleveland Indians, uh, Chief Wahoo's gone. They hired an ad agency to try to come up with a, you know, uh, an alternate logo to the boring Block C, and really struck out. There's not there's huh. nothing you can do with Native American symbols that that's not you know demeaning. I mean the, you know the feather means a lot to the Native American mm -hmm. community. You can't cheapen it by by using it as a baseball logo. Uh, you know we've seen the Braves and the tomahawk chop and it's just not there's nothing they could really do with the name that wouldn't be disrespectful so uh so then it just comes down to cleveland and it's just awkward to just be highlighting cleveland and not your nickname so it kind of became a no-brainer to 
just change the name. <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean, I know it's, it, it sounds crazy to say that about something that's been around since 1915, but, you know, they did it. And I think my kids are young. My kids are all six and under, and I, I bet there will come a time in the not-too-distant future where amongst their generation will be like, hey, did you know they used to be called the Indians? You know, it'll be a trivia yeah, question. Be like, well, yeah, conversation piece. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, time, yeah. time does march on, and, and change is weird until it's not. So I, I think that's kind of where it will head. I, I did it quietly, but I got called out by one of my colleagues um, in 2016, the Cubs World Series they, yeah. that they won. I did not use the mascot's name, hmm. and I wanted to see if I could do that. Like, if could you write stories without using <laughs> the mascot? It just was like, you know, what, however this goes, my thought was, however that World Series went, it was going to be history. It was right. either going to be Cleveland's first in a long time or um, the Cubs' first since 1908. Yeah. And I thought, okay, if you're writing that, how do you make it? You know, how do you make it last? Like, yeah. how do you make it so that you're not wincing 30 years from now when somebody says, hey, did you write wow. this? And because I like I thought I like this is going to be someone some, somewhere, yeah. somewhere, someone somewhere is going to clip this. <laughs> and how do I not like, yeah. you know, go. Ah. And that was one I tried like wow. I and and I got called out by one of my colleagues for doing it. But I it was cool. The editors were fine that I did it. And, yeah. and it just was like Cleveland. Francona's club, mm -hmm. you know, it was yeah, different yeah. things like that. Like you just use phrases and I started to learn like, you know, man, maybe people just know who the teams are. You don't really need the right. mascots too much. Yeah. I, you know, I don't know the exact history of, I guess it just kind of happened organically where teams were referred to by these, these funny nicknames right. based on their personality or a star player or what have you. And then it became, you know, this thing. And I, I wrote about this the other day when they made the announcement, just, you know, names used to change constantly. Um, especially here in Cleveland. Uh, th this team has had many names. Indians stuck for a very long time, but before that it was really erratic in terms of the names that were used. And, um, you know, I saw references to Spiders referring to the American League team in some newspapers. Mm. Um, it was just it was really ephemeral in terms of, you know, what your name was. But um, unsurprisingly thoughtful on your part, Mr. Gould, to, to, try, to, to try to do that. And, and it was, it's harder than, I mean... The, you get tripped up as a writer sometimes because the plural helps a lot sometimes. Right. Certain there and it's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of, of certain sentences, but yeah. it can be done. And we had tribe. Francona's ball players, I guess. <laughs> yeah, we had tribe as kind of an alternate, but yeah. never really. Uh, you know, some people wondered why didn't they just name them the Cleveland Tribe? But I, they they wanted to get away from the Native American uh, theme in general. Mm. Um, so here we are with Guardians. So the. At one point in time, Cleveland was known as the Naps because of Nap Lajoie, and that continued past his time with the team briefly. And before that, they were known as the Spiders. And that, it, what was the origin of that name of, yeah. of the Spiders? So the Spiders were a National League franchise, uh, and they were known as the Spiders for about a decade, if I'm not mistaken, uh, late eight, at the end of the 1800s. Um, prior to that, they were the Forest Cities. Oh, that's cool. Uh, and, and they had a couple other names, but. Um, they became known as the Spiders because they had black and gray uniforms, and they had a lot of guys who were just kind of lanky and you know, long limbed. <laughs> and uh, you know, the newspaper started to call them Spiders. And that's, you know, getting back to what you're just saying about names changing all the time. Was your name was whatever the newspapers decided. Right. Uh, enormous power, and and that's how Indians came to be. It was a, a meeting of Cleveland actually had four daily newspapers in 1915, and and they met and they they chose the name 
uh, Indians at that time. But yeah, Spiders was was the uh, you know the National League franchise that then folded uh, after the horrendous 1899 season, uh, historically bad season, and then uh, you know. Two years later, they get the American League franchise that, that comes to be known as the Indians and now the Guardians. It's uh, The legend has it that the Yankees got their name because Highlanders wouldn't fit, right? So in the column, with, they were like, well, Highlanders is too long. <laughs> right. We need to you know, trim it down. They're in from Baltimore, so we'll name them the, the Yankees. And so now that lasts. Now the Cardinals got their name um, in part because of the Cleveland Spiders. And it is like my little pet theory that the current Cardinals franchise actually got its start when the Cleveland Spiders uprooted an entire roster to bring it to the bigger crowd yeah. in in uh, in St. Louis in 1899. You mentioned that mm-hmm. 1899 season, and that that opening day, Cy Young threw the first pitch of the modern Cardinals, yeah. like, but only because he had been uprooted along with the Spiders and relocated. Yeah. So if not for the Spiders. There might not be the Cardinals in the same way that you're describing it because the Cardinals or the Spiders moved in. They needed a new name. They weren't going to go with the brown stockings, which is what the former St. Louis did. They went with the Perfectos, and they had these glistening jerseys that had this red color that then, as, you know, happened, some sports writer heard a young fan say, that's a beautiful shade of Cardinal. And away they went. Yeah. And the birds didn't come into play until a couple decades later yeah. with Branch Rookie, Ricky. Um, so it's my it's my theory that the Cardinals are the spiders. That, does that work? That, it does work. And that so this is a sore subject for me because uh, I was Mr. Spider throughout this process from the minute that they announced they were even considering uh, changing the name last July. Uh, I went all in on the spiders idea. I was already kind of doing that anyway but once it became this is actually happening they're actually probably going to change the name like let's do this let's let's name this team the cleveland spiders i think it's such a cool name um and you know the immediate pushback you get is well you can't name them that after it was the worst team of all time in 1899 (laughs) and it bugs me because they were a really successful franchise until that point yeah and it was this strange situation that's even it's just so hard to relate to now where you know, the Robeson brothers owned this team in Cleveland, the Cleveland Spiders, and the St. Louis team uh, simultaneously and just yeah. just dumped all their best players, as you said. Th- three future Hall of Famers just dumped them on their St. Louis team, just pulled them off the Cleveland team, put them on the St. Louis team. I mean, imagine that. So, um, you know, we have a history. We have a tortured history here of star players going elsewhere, but not quite by not those like means. That. That's, that's yeah. a little bit too, uh, <laughs> too extreme. So... Um, so no wonder they won 20 games in 1899, and they played. If you look at their, if you look at their baseball reference page, it's hilarious. I mean, I don't have it in front of me, but the the, the pure number of road games that they played because they didn't draw at home. Right. They played virtually their entire season on the road, uh, wow. and and were robbed of all their talent. So of course, of course, they had this historically bad season. But prior to that, they were a successful, reputable, respectful franchise that won the city's first major sports championship, the Temple Cup, in 1895. Where's that history brought out uh, when uh, when Spiders is on the line? So, but I, I was told fairly early in the process that Spiders was probably not going to happen. There was mm-hmm. a, a lot of reasons for that, uh, trademark issues being a, a big one, um, but also you know that history they they, they felt they kind of shied away from 1899. But uh, I still think it would have been the cooler name, and uh, it just became a good Twitter shtick after a while. Just keep <laughs> keep <laughs> uh, keep tweeting about the spiders, and I might still do it. Why not? I think that's something that probably is hard to kind of 
wrap your mind around is the trademark aspect yeah. of it. And I did want to ask you about like kind of the inside mechanics of finding a name that didn't overlap yeah. with um, you know some other team. Like if you choose Spiders, then do you have to cut a deal with Richmond? Is that I mean because that's amateur. So do you what what do you do there? Um, the Cardinals sell Browns stuff, St. Louis Brown stuff at their um, ballpark, but they need an agreement with the Baltimore Orioles, who own the St. Louis Browns trademark, yeah. to do that. Um, there's a lot of overlapping factors, and like if you were to ch- try to call a baseball team the Lakers here, how would that go? <laughs> I mean, there, there's no way the NBA would allow that, right? Right. Yeah, I, I, I would imagine not. Um, I don't know if, if Lakers was ever seriously considered, but um, yeah. Pick a word. I mean, pick a word that works for a sports team name, and it's locked up by somebody. That's what they found. I think that's what Washington, uh, the football team, is finding as well. Um, you know, without no one has walked me through the mechanics of this just yet. I, I do anticipate that will happen in the not too distant future. But I was told throughout that like it, it was pretty overwhelming. It was actually harder than they even thought going into it. Mm-hmm. Um, it. It turned out to be really complex. And you think about even social media handles and, and things like that. I mean, Guardians is locked up by Guardians of the Galaxy right. from a social media perspective. And I would imagine uh, that there was some trademark issue there as well. There was actually a roller derby team here in Cleveland known as the Guardians. Huh. Um, there was an XFL franchise known as the Guardians. So, yeah, it's, you know, as they said, I mean, every word every word in the English language that was worth using for a sports team name was was complicated. The uh, soundtrack of BP has started behind us, so you get some ambient noise as we as we talk. Do you think that Guardians has a chance to be, and it's early on, so maybe this is unfair, but but that the notion or the name has a chance to be timeless, or are maybe we going to move into a phase where there are just like these untouchable names, but other ones kind of evolve with time? I, I think you know I, anything you get used to, you get used to things over time. Even bad things you get used to over time, I think. Um, the number one driver of you know, anything in sports is winning, right? Mm-hmm. People have an emotional attachment to winning. They don't, you know, that, that, that's what drives things. So I, I think if they win uh, under the name Guardians, it will have you know, a, a more of an emotional tug on people than it does today. But there's also just the sheer matter of time. And as I said, my, my kids, their kids, um, I'll tell you that... Uh, Two days after they announced the name, I took my kids to a game here, and uh, yeah, my my two youngest they don't know what's going on, but my oldest is six, and and she's been an Indians fan. She's she was at the World Series at two. Wow. <laughs> and uh, well, yeah, you wrote a wonderful story about sharing that. You yeah, know, yeah, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, yeah. And and you know, so she already has this sentimental attachment to Indians, and she said, I don't want them to change their name. She doesn't know anything about the race racial implications of the name. She knows nothing about it. Just like me when I was a kid. Um, but I said, hey, we're going to drive by the Guardians on the way to the game. We drove across that bridge, and I said, there's the Guardians, and that's why they're going to be the Guardians, because of those statues. And now, all of a sudden, she had a different attachment to it. Mm. When we left the game, she said, hey, are we going to drive by the Guardians again? So, you know, there's just one small example of how it becomes normalized pretty quickly, right? So yeah. um, they're not even the Guardians yet, and she already knows, uh, she, she already has a connection, I guess. Uh, you, I, I, that is one thing that is, I will, even as, as a, a a clear spider advocate. I do have to admit that, particularly if you live on the west side of, of town like we do, uh, you can you can make the Guardians a part of your baseball experience by driving across that bridge. You um, can always get a Guardians jersey that says "Spider" on the back. That's true. Right? Or yeah. I, you know, I don't know. I 
I've said throughout this whole thing that like Cleveland has a lot of spiders. I can attest to that. So yeah. you could you could always have a spider be part of your journey uh, to the ballpark as well. I'm sure. But but Guardians <laughs> is a little more uh, it is a little more vivid when it's a, a huge statue in, in front of you there. So you mentioned that winning makes everything work, yeah. both marketing but also the name and all that stuff. How is it that Cleveland they trade Lindor, they've traded other great players as you've mentioned. And they're still above 500. You know, I mean, the White Sox are really doing well in the division, but the White Sox have had to cycle into being the yeah. leader, whereas Cleveland's been a constant. What What is it? You know, it's weird because they've, you know, the nature in baseball, I think, generally speaking, um, although a, a club like St. Louis is an outlier in this, a club like Cleveland is an outlier in this, but, you know, a lot of teams go through that just we're going to tear everything down to the studs and rebuild the quote-unquote right way and, and build it up from the ground up. And they haven't done that here in the last, you know, really going back to, I think the last time they really did a full-scale, what felt like a rebuild situation was when they traded CC Spathy and Cliff Lee in successive years. But mm -hmm. they've tried to do it without doing that since then. They have certainly traded star players, but they've always tried to maintain this situation where they're, they're just staying competitive and they're not, you know, a, a doormat for years on end. Um, They've been fairly successful with that, largely because of their pitching development. That's, they haven't been quite as good at developing bats, but they've developed arms so well here, and they've, they've done a good job targeting guys who throw strikes, and they say, if you can throw strikes, we can make you better. Mm. Um, and, and that's what they've done. Uh, so that when you have that kind of pitching backbone, um, you know, it helps you remain competitive. The division definitely helps as well, let's be honest. Yeah. I mean, Ale Central is not exactly a, a world beater, you know, on an annual basis, so that that helps as well. But um, but yeah, just just having that that baseline of of strong pitching has, has helped them cover over a lot. Um, there's there's certainly other things they could have done along the way to be even stronger. But um, but yeah, it, it's interesting because I think there's even been times where there was a good case to blow it up and start all over. Mm -hmm. um, but they've tried to shy away from that because it's 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 touchy here. There's there's a lot of sensitivity from you know they they want to protect their fan base and um, they want to give them a good product, but um, you know they they're, they're, they've kind of become this team that is, under Terry Francona has, is just routinely competitive. That's a, that's a nice strong baseline to work off of. At what point in time is being that good though not good enough, and they need to be great? Right. You know, like I mean, it has been since '48, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, you know, there this is one of the longest, um, you know stretches without i mean probably, i guess the longest right yeah. now yeah the longest stretch without a championship in baseball um you know they got the pennant in 2016 and they've been good but does does the fan base at all become apathetic to good and and want great because the cardinals are kind of wrestling with that yeah no i think that that's a real thing um because you know they have been just good enough to not go very far, you know that's yeah. that's kind of been the theme in, in the more recent seasons. They had that run in 2016. Now 2016 to me is the way it probably has to happen here, where that was a team that you know they they had this young core just kind of finding its way, um, a, a couple of veteran pieces, nothing earth shattering. I mean we're talking about like Mike Napoli and Rajay yeah, Davis, yeah. nothing earth shattering, just the right guys at the right moment, and a, a team that just just played well and caught fire at the right time and that's probably the way it has to happen here because then what happened after that is they really did go for it you know they really did make the big splash with Edwin Encarnacion and um, you know they you know they, they spent more money than quite frankly they were comfortable with mm -hmm. and and the team just didn't 
didn't come through in the postseason, you know, and, and, and they kind of, you know, felt the effects of that in the years to come. So I think that's what they're trying to do at this point is, is build that next team that's going to come, not out of nowhere, but just, you know, a, a team that's just kind of young and, and loose and frisky and, and financially flexible to do something midseason, get the right piece midseason, which is what they did with Andrew Miller, of course, mm-hmm. uh, in 2016. And, and that's, that's probably the way it has to happen here. But I, I do think what you're saying is a real thing where, Again, there are there are points in the team's trajectory where there is an there is an argument for dreaming things up again in a different way and, yeah. and taking that that step step back to take a step forward eventually. Who are some of the young people that some of the young players that they want to build around, and how does that factor into their decisions here now as we're talking with a few days to go before the trade deadline, the one and only trade deadline. Yeah. We have to remind ourselves of this because 2020, or I at least I do, because 2020 was so different. It's like, well, there's no August anymore. This is it. Yeah. I mean, they, they see themselves at a baseline in terms of payroll. So I know that there's a natural inclination with, you know, with the number of stars that they've traded off in, in recent years, and, and particularly last winter with, you know, Francisco Lindor and, Carl, and uh, Carlos Carrasco as well in that deal. Um, you know, it's only natural that people look at Jose Ramirez and say, okay, he'll be the next to go. But I think they, I think they're more inclined to try to extend him. Mm. Um, they have all the financial flexibility in the world. When you look at their books, they have nobody on the books, so it can be done. Um, but I, I think they're in more in that growth phase, really. Uh, they're always looking for opportunities to, to bring in guys who are, you know, have, have, uh, some long-term attachment. Um, so I, I suspect they'll they'll try to do that this deadline, and if not, then in the winter. But um, I, I think the major sell-off period is over. I think it's more about now, you know, getting the pieces to build around. And they they got some, you know, they always have young pitching here, and mm-hmm. you know, Zach Plezak, Aaron Savali, Shane Bieber. That that's their core of the rotation that's been banged up this year. But that's still, still guys they they plan to build around. And then you know, Nolan Jones is their big position player prospect. But um, but yeah, they they always seem to be in need of bats here, you know, just, just controllable long-term power bats has been something they've really struggled to develop. So, you know, I, I would imagine that's what they're always on the hunt for at a, at a period like this where there's, you know, possibility of an acquisition. That sounds a lot like the Cardinals. Yeah. I mean, the, the Cardinals in Cleveland, man, they, they, they overlap quite a bit. I mean, they have the shared history again, spiders and, <laughs> and perfectos. Um, they, they rigged a batting title at one point in time together. Um, you know, it, it, <laughs> It's just, uh, yeah. Um, but yeah, they, there's, I mean, they both develop pitching really well and they both just kind of race and struggle and, you know, try to get that. The, the Cleveland probably with Ramirez and Lindor are ahead um, as far as position players from the Cardinals, but the Cardinals have, they feel like they're finally getting some return and then they see on the horizon the, the Nolan Gorman, who was a member of the yeah. Futures game here in 2009, Dylan Carlson, who was a member of the Futures game here in 2019, and then, um, you know, Jordan Walker and some of these guys that they think. But gosh, there's a lot of similarities there, but it speaks to how valuable the ability to develop pitching is when you just want to remain in contention. And then if you do get the hitter that catches fire, maybe that's the step to great. Yeah. No, I think that's right. I mean, trade deadline is a perfect example of what is valued in this industry to what level. I mean, it's always it's always operated around pitching. If you have pitching depth, you know, that goes such a long way. It's what people overpay for at the trade deadline, um, whereas bats just don't have that value. You know, it's, it's more about... You know, team, teams look for you know a lower cost you know way to do that or you know a great player like a Chris Bryant or uh, or a Trevor Story just doesn't have much trade value and as he's 
nearing free agency as does a Max Scherzer mm -hmm. uh, as he's nearing free agency. It's just two very different equations. So I think that speaks volumes. What are you looking for at this trade deadline? What What are you? I know you have to keep your eye on all 30 teams, both for writing and also for the work you do with MLB Network. I mean, what are you kind of watching as we get close to that deadline at uh, 4 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. St. Louis time Friday? Well, the key to the whole darn thing is that it is the one true trade deadline, which is now the third you know, season of this, second real season of this. Mm -hmm. And, you know, two years ago it made a really profound impact. There was, I think it was uh, like 27 trades in the in the 48 hours leading up to the trade deadline. I expect something very similar this year. I think it's there's a lot of inventory out there. I, I think it could be a bit of a buyer's market um, with the amount of inventory that is available. But what I'm always looking for in a situation like this uh, we'll, we'll assess everything. You know, we'll, we'll all try to sound smart two or three months from now. You know, <laughs> the, the under the radar move. Yeah, you know, the, yeah. the random reliever that that you know is getting huge outs in October. But yeah. what I'm looking for in this moment, who, who are the teams really putting their chips in the middle of the table? Say we're we're all in for a World Series. You know, I think the Dodgers are probably going to go down that road again. You know, they they want to win another one. They want to win one under ordinary circumstances. And the the division has obviously become a, a big dogfight for them. The Giants will be really interesting because. They're in this position nobody expected them to be in, mm -hmm. and their future is really bright. Um, and you know, here's an opportunity to maybe shock the world. You know, they, they have money they can take on, and uh, they, uh, if it's a long-term piece, they can handle that, no problem. So they'll be really interesting. Uh, the Astros are really interesting to me uh, as a team that's been a you know a perennial contender, but you know maybe nearing the end of that window, and, and maybe they they really go for it again, um, and. It's looking within your division. I think the Milwaukee Brewers have already done some, yeah, the, the Willie Adamas trade really changed them in a yeah. hurry, but I don't think they're done. I, I That owner, Mark Antonasio, loves to go for it, and this could be an opportunity to go for it again. How how substantial or maybe milestone-y of a trade deadline would it be if you had a former MVP and a former Cy Young winner moving? Yeah. I mean, that, that probably is representative of what you're talking about. It's like, A, um, that it's one true deadline. But also maybe about the disparity between you know the haves and haves nots in in the league right now. I mean, yeah. you could have a trade deadline where Chris Bryant moves and Max Scherzer moves, which would be probably unthinkable, <laughs> like not too long ago. Right. No, that's a great way to put it. Um, and it's it's strange because as a as a yeah, on one hand, you like to see guys build a legacy in one place. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, it's so fun when players of that ilk can move <laughs> yeah. to the deadline, right? Yeah. It's just so fun. Uh, so not that you're rooting against the Cubs and Nationals, but, you know, hey, if they if they did happen to have to trade a couple stars, that wouldn't be the worst thing in the world because it definitely moves the needle from a fan perspective. It, it, it's engaging. It's something to talk about. Um, you know, to me, Scherzer is like, he's the guy, this trade deadline, because no disrespect to anybody else involved, but... Yeah, you know, that that's the guy who just changes the tone of a room uh, of a clubhouse mm -hmm. when yeah. he walks in. Mizzou guys do that. Yeah, of course, of right. course. Um, but, you know, to me, he's he's the one true. He's the one guy that's deadline you could really say that about. Um, you know, no, again, knowing the value of starting pitching in general and him in particular, and especially him in relation to the rest of the starting pitching market. I mean, that that's a guy that uh, just just changes the conversation right away. From your perspective, looking over at the National League Central. How does it strike you that the Cardinals come into Cleveland at 500, 100 games into their season, they're 50-50, which is just poetry. I mean, it's just perfect. That's that's how they ought to be. Um, the Cubs are one game behind them. Yeah. The Cardinals are looking to add or hold 
with Jack Flaherty starting in a few hours as we talk, and then Miles Michaelis on his way back. And, and the Cubs are, they're, they're, you know, Buster only called them a buffet table. They're sellers galore, but they're separated by one game. I mean, does that seem like something from a, from, you know, from the other side of the, of the leagues that's hard to compute? It is and it isn't. It's it's funny when you put it like that because I don't even think of it like that because I, I think it's because this. I, I think we all have our predispositions in life, and I think that executives are no different. I think the Cubs were predisposed to sell at this trade deadline before the season even started. And and then, yeah, maybe that team could have shocked them and shocked the world. And for a couple of months, it was going pretty well. But I think they were always going to be looking for a reason to they they telegraphed that with the U Darvish trade. You know they were going to be looking for a reason to, you know I, I think they've kind of been looking for it for the last couple of years. Quite frankly, you know that that team has kind of needed a just to be reconfigured in some way. And then you got the Cardinals who, you know they really went for it with you know bringing in Nolan Arenado and and they're more of the mindset that we're in this thing. You know we're we're in this fight and we're not given up on it so but it is fascinating that the standings look the way they do yeah. there's two completely different mindsets but I, I think that's really what it is um sometimes reality has to intervene i think that's what's happening in dc right now you know i think mike rizzo is as competitive as they come but yeah you know you get swept by the orioles just before the trade deadline you haven't played that great to begin with so you know sometimes the the last week can really sway you but sometimes it's just you were always kind of of this mind and now you know, now now push comes to shove, and you got you got to pick a lane, and the Cubs have their lane, and other teams have their lane. You'll be covering the Cardinals for MLB.com during this two-game series, so Cardinals fans will get to read your work there on on the Cardinals.com and MLB.com. What is your perception of the Cardinals at this point? And you know, in the you know overall, they're seen as underachieving. Um, but they've also been undone by a bunch of injuries. Um, Cardinal fans are are restless. Um, usually that happens with the first loss of the year, and they're not going to go 162-0, and 0, and there's just frustration abound. Um, I, I, I joke sometimes that they won't be going to the Orange Bowl because they've lost their number one ranking. Right. But, you know, but there is anxiety, high anxiety within St. Louis. And so I wanted to get your perspective just as you're looking to cover them. Like, what, what is that perception of the Cardinals at the moment? I think they're at a real crossroads, to be honest, because, um, you know, they've they, they made this Nolan Arenado trade. They've they, they brought back, you know, important core members who are, you know, they're up there in years. <laughs> Yanni Molina and Adam Wainwright. Um, they have had some good things happen this year. I think the development of the outfield is, is something that, if you told me that happens going into the season, I figured the Cardinals are where a lot of people pegged them to be at the top of the Central. But obviously injuries elsewhere have kind of gotten in the way. And, um, you know, I know it's been a frustrating year, but they've had a lot of misses uh, and on the trade front and the free mm-hmm. agent front. And, and that those have kind of caught up with them over the years. And then, you know, their stars on the corner infield have not – really played like stars this season and that catches up to you as well so I, I just see it as kind of this crossroads moment where okay what it what are Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arnado going to be in years to come and and you know the, the front office decision making you, you can't keep letting players go succeed elsewhere you, they, they have to have uh, some in-house success stories and they, again they have had some in the outfield this year there's no doubt about that but um but the whole thing just hasn't come together quite the way any of us anticipated now I, I picked them to win going into the season you know, Arnado certainly helped, but to me, I, I thought they had the best pitching depth in the division, really. Really. And then that really got eroded quickly. Yeah. <laughs> so, 
So that'll always, you know, that that's always going to paint a cloud over things. But I think that, you know, there's been injuries all over the league, and and, and your depth gets te- gets tested, you know, no matter who you are, uh, particularly in this 2021 season. But they just haven't had the the depth that I thought they had from a pitching side. Yeah, that's interesting. I uh, when we do the predictions, I always follow the pitching. That's like the yeah. best thing. And predictions are wrong the moment you do it, but just follow the pitching and do that. And I picked the Brewers to yeah. win. I no, thought I the Cardinals were. I thought the Cardinals were one starter shy of being protected, yeah. and I thought the 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 Brewers had the abundance of relievers to be protected. See, I, I thought the Brewers were uh, had had more in terms of. You know, the upside potential, mm-hmm. yeah. but maybe not as much in, in terms of the depth. Um, we'll see if but, they do. but sure enough, you know, now they have a couple Cy Young candidates. <laughs> yeah. and, uh, I mean, what I'm saying is all of their upside really came through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Um, we'll see if it lasts. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we'll see. But I mean, that's that's a fun team, you know, and and uh, you know, a lot of people are high on them even as we go into October because that's a really tough team to match up against in a yeah. short series. They're going into uncharted territory with innings, which yeah. will be really yeah. interesting to see what happens with the Cardinals getting guys back who haven't pitched because of injury and going up 13 times against the Brewers, against guys who are now pitching twice as much as they did last year. I mean, it's we don't know how it's going to work. I mean, Woodruff's schedule has really been preparing him for this, which is fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that'll be part of it. The thing I wanted to ask you here at the end is, you know, Name change in Cleveland, like you mentioned, a crossroads for the Cardinals. Are we starting to enter, or are we deep into an era where mediocre is just the worst place to be for teams? Where you're you're a winning team, but you're an 84, 86, 87 win team. You're neither tanking nor are you winning. And meanwhile, all around you, teams are tanking and then slingshotting forward. Or you have the Dodgers who are just outspending everybody with whatever an 18 million dollar Triple A yeah. lineup. Um, I guess they had at one point in time. I shouldn't say that they have that now, but they had that at one point in time. Um, you know, is this are we just in a phase of baseball where being mediocre is the worst spot of all? I, I think that's generally true, um, and that's what I was alluding to earlier. When you do have a, a bunch of seasons, you know, in a row where you're just kind of hanging around but not really taking that major step forward, yeah, it can wear on a fan base, and um, sometimes you do have to pick a direction. I would say though that. The problem is, if too many teams are tanking at the same time, uh, they're not all—not all those projects are going to work. Right. I think we're already seeing that. You know, the Phillies rebuild—I don't think it's gone very well. And you know, they tried to turn the corner with Bryce Harper, and you know, they're just kind of a middling team now, spending a tremendous amount of money with, you know, a couple star players, but not really going anywhere. So, um, the so, Padres took ten years to become yeah, this team. Exactly. I mean. I can lose sight of that. I've heard I've heard from people in Cleveland who are like, "Why can't we be more like the Padres?" Is like, have you looked at the year by year results yeah. of the Padres? Like how they to get to this point. Like, Mike Piazza was their catcher <laughs> at one point in time when they were in the playoffs. Yeah. That was a long time ago. Yeah, it's it's a lot of pain to do it that way, and you got to have the right people in place, and you know, and you got to get lucky too, quite yeah. frankly. So, so it's hard to always advocate for that. I I do see that, you know, we've become more of a prospect oriented you know, baseball society, you know, fans, some of these guys are, some of these guys on the, on the farm systems are more popular and more known to fans than guys on the major league roster in some cases, because that that's kind of how things have become oriented. But there is danger in that because, you know, not every rebuild project works. 
Thank you very much. The the spider's name won't be here, but I guess we could, you know what, we could have like the spider's cup, right? Every time the Cardinals in Cleveland play, <laughs> it could be for the spider's cup, right? Who gets to own the name for or own the web or whatever for <laughs> for a year, right? Or I guess they need to play more often, but that that would be good, right? Just to kind of yeah. keep the spiders alive. Yeah, and a lot of, a lot of venom was, was spread between the two teams when, when something's on the line like that. Yeah, I'm all for it. I'm all for it. We've got the Ohio Cup here between the... You know the, I guess the Guardians now and and the Reds. So I'm all for another cup. So the spiders, and we could say that they're caught in the cobwebs of mediocrity. <laughs> we could totally overwrite this. This will be great. I mean, I'm not gonna lie. Spider puns were one reason why I was definitely <laughs> advocating for that. But I could do some stuff with Guardians. I'm already working on some Guardians puns. I respect the Rise of the Guardians is yeah. really, I mean, we all know that's going to be the headline, right? <laughs> as soon as they their first season, it'll be Rise of the Guardians, and you'll just play off of that. Anthony, thank you very much for this. You, you can read all of Anthony's work at MLB.com and see him on MLB Network. Do you have a specific day of the week that you, you're on there weekly at I'm MLB the, Network? I'm on the uh, MLB Central show, uh, yeah, weekly in, in the mornings doing the Freak Out Factor. Um, always a good time there. So, yeah, thanks so much for, for having me, Derek, and uh, we'll keep the spiders alive one way or another. Yeah, we'll do our best. Huh? You know, we could do like a Guardians Spider-Man bobblehead and be like a mashup that no one saw coming. So, thanks again. Thank you. The best podcast in baseball is brought to you by Closets by Design of St. Louis. Get organized with Closets by Design of St. Louis. Update your closet, garage, office, pantry, and more. Call 1-800-BY-DESIGN. That's 1-800-B-Y-D-E-S-I-G-N. The best podcast in the in baseball is available wherever you get your podcast for the best podcast in baseball and stltoday.com i'm st louis post-dispatch baseball writer Derek gould talk to you soon